You are now listening to Sanity at the Movies, DCU Edition. Hey everybody, I'm Nathan, your host. We have the captain himself, Captain Solzer. How are Arr. you doing? Arr. Mon Capitan. Uh, oui, oui. Good. Great. Ask him how he's doing. He says, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Ben, why don't you introduce our greatest living theologian? It's Jake Menzel. Everyone already knows. <laughs> now, you, you mean as soon as you say greatest living theologian. Yeah, I really shouldn't have to say anything after yeah, that. Yeah, I don't understand why I need to name him. Right. Yeah. It'd be like saying, I can't think of an amount. <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> there is no metaphor. Well, I was going to say like <laughs> the, the greatest basketball player of the Chicago Bulls. Like, <laughs> would people. Scotty Pippen. Move up to the microphone so you can this garbage. <laughs> yes, Jake, move up to the microphone. Come on down. Hi. Hey, guys, isn't it exciting that we all saw the flat? Oh, hi, Jake. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Just fine. Who are you? I'm your host, Nathan. You dropping the humble and obedient shtick? Uh, you know, it hasn't been true for years. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I really haven't come up with shtick. I like calling Ben the captain. Captain Ben. I captain. think you're sour about somebody stealing our shtick, and so you're dropping it. It is Interesting to notice how those two things correspond. I, Cor- correlation doesn't ex- equal causation, but it is interesting to notice the correlation. I'll say that much. Somebody stole our shtick, and ever since then, you've been dropping it, and I definitely noticed it. Yeah. Or somebody stole our shtick for years, and then we found out, and then ever since then, you've been dropping it. Well, you know mm. my philosophy. Speak softly, carry big shtick. But thank you thank you is there an applause there's no applause i don't have all my <laughs> i don't have all my sound effects for sanity at the movies i only have some of them <laughs> so where were we oh yeah you know my philosophy speak softly and carry a big shtick and i'm happy to do that but i don't know it's been six seven years of i'm gonna be the host and uh, pastors a master preachers a teacher you know it's like you gotta shake things up you know my other philosophy no. Shake things up. <laughs> I just want to shake, shake, shake. All right. How long can we avoid talking about the Flash? Shake, shake, No shake, longer, so my friend. All right. Well, isn't it wonderful that we've all seen the Flash and are excited to have seen and talk about the Flash? And I don't mean that CW show. I mean Andy Muschietti's classic cinematic achievement the Flash. Declared by no less than James Gunn himself to be the best superhero movie and declared, I think, by both of you to be the most anticipated. Yep. And most likely to be the best blockbuster of the summer. Jake, I feel like you might be putting a little extra salt in the gravy there, my friend. <laughs> I don't know that we said it was going to be the best blockbuster of the summer. It just We said I, it was the most anticipated. No, I think you said it was going to be the best. I don't know that Nathan said that. I probably did. I think I did. Mm. Fool! <laughs> no, you must pay. No, you must pay. You already paid. Yeah. Some flash. I did. <laughs> paid money and yeah. I paid time. Yes. No two greater penalties than that. Mm-hmm. Hey, you got to see Ezra Miller throw up. I did. Yeah. More than once, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, it's great that we've seen the flash. It is. A little bit like Oprah. She says that you've you've got a car, you've got a car, you've got a car. I could say the same thing about us. I've seen the flash. Ben's seen the Flash. <laughs> Jake's seen the Flash. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yep. Yes, sir. You Bob. Yeah. He ha- we've he has all seen the Flash. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely definitely seen the Flash. Yep. Yeah. 
Would we lie to you, listener? Would I, Jake? I, I, I would not. Would not. Jake's I, our, like, our greatest living theologian. Like George Washington. It's like, exactly right, yeah. You're like, I chopped that cherry tree I, down. I chopped that tree Pop. down, and I saw the flash. And you saw the flash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> both equally true. And both <laughs> the great achievements of our first president, George Washington. Chopping the cherry tree down and seeing the flash. Seeing the flash and being honest about both things. <laughs> honest George. That's well, what, they what would call be it. harder? Chopping to be a cherry honest tree? about seeing I mean, the flash or chopping down a cherry tree. I feel like the lie. You're speaking pretty fluent <laughs> lies today, Jake. What? Because I'm about to expose you for the liar you are. No. And maybe I'll get our old chum Ben it, to help me. Will it be you. a flash exposure? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> It's going to be a flash exposure. Oh, man. It's a podcast. I'm shamed. Oh. What is there to be ashamed about it? I think it's higher quality than The Flash. Yeah, I know. I'm ashamed that we never reached this quality before. Why hasn't every episode been like this? <laughs> yep, especially when the podcast has been such a flash in the pan. Oh, oh, wait for it, Jake. Wait for it. Right, we're waiting. Running for such a long time. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're... Is that because the Flash runs? Hey, guys. Is that, is that the joke? What? What are you talking I about? I think actually? we're... Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> well suited oh, to do a podcast. Oh. Because the Flash, Jake... He wears a suit. He wears a suit, yeah. Like a suit and tie. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's nah, it's, a, it's, like a, it's a rubber suit. suit. This, oh. this episode might be quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to chop all of us with a... Muschetti. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say except you're welcome? Because it was directed by Andy Muschetti. His name sounds a little bit like Machete. It really does. I'm just glad that you quoted The Rock singing a song from Moana. Yeah, me too. Yep. I, I'm well, that might be to... the high point of this podcast. Well, I mean, this episode, me. you know. All time. Although you weren't done exposing Jake, were you? Did no, I was still exposing Jake. Flash right. exposure, I believe we right. call it. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. I don't want to be flashed, and I don't want to be exposed. <laughs> All right, well, please. There's no such thing. As, there's here. no such thing as flashing without exposure. That's oh, what I always man. say. <laughs> that's my family on my family crest. Um, die of exposure. Disclaimer: It's not on my family crest. That'd be an extremely bizarre and unfortunate thing to be on someone's family crest. Also, second disclaimer: Don't have a family crest. Mm. But spend your thoughts. I think this introduction has legs to it. Oh, like the Flash. I get it, because he's got legs. <laughs> At least we're not up in arms. The Flash has arms. That's right. Dude. Seems like we're getting <laughs> ahead. Hey, the Flash has a head of the problem. You know, the average number of legs is less than two huh. of people on the planet. Did you know that? No. What do your kids tell you that? That's like a, no, like a grade school. A, no, hey, it's, Dad! It's just a fact, if you think about it. The number of people with fewer than two legs outnumbers the people with more than two legs, and therefore... I'm um, picturing your son, uh, let's call him Bronco, yeah. c- coming in. He's got his <laughs> slingshot stuck into his pants. Yeah, I mean, He's like, him, hey, Dad! Named him after my first vehicle. <laughs> yeah, your first vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, yes, Bronco? He's like... <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the average number of legs I've been this in this playground? <laughs> Is how my... Kids talk. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, I feel like Jake's parenting has been exposed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Got yeah. He's letting Bronco run wild. Oh, man. 
It's a uh, double joke because Bronco's running wild and the Flash runs because yeah. he has two legs. As long as Bronco doesn't scream himself hoarse. Man, this podcast sucks. I'm so sorry, folks. What happened? <laughs> what you what you did was say, how can we <laughs> fill time? How can we make a podcast that is better than this movie that we just saw? This oh, that's movie very that easy. I claimed I being Nathan and Ben here, not Jake. Jake did not make this claim. Okay. Would be the hit of the summer. Mm. Again, mm-hmm. I feel like a little sodium. And uh, what's the other component of salt? I guess salt is just sodium. (laughs) (laughs) Sodium chloride, right? There you go. I feel like a little little sodium, a little chloride going into the gravy here that maybe... Maybe he's just rubbing it into the wounds, Nathan. (laughs) Wound gravy. Would you consider blood to be wound gravy? Uh, I'm done with this Because I've decided to call blood wound gravy. (laughs) I'm really done with it. I think we're going to have to talk about this movie. All right. Well, the good thing is we've all seen it, right? Uh Uh-huh. Have we gotten rid of both the new listeners and the old listeners? Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah, they're gone. <laughs> now, disclaimer: in because we were just berating somebody for taking some of our stuff. I'm I'm pretty sure I got that joke from somewhere. The have we gotten rid of the old listeners? Yeah, like that is not original. The new to me. listeners. The new listeners are the new listeners gone yet? There was a internet comedian pre YouTube, but kind of predicted YouTube called Zefrank that used to do something very weird at the beginning of a show. And then he'd say, are the new listeners gone yet? And then he'd cut to the actual content. Mm-hmm. And so all credit to Zefrank. Very funny guy. I wonder if he ever went on to do anything or hmm. monetized it. This was, he was like doing stuff like that before YouTube made it a thing to do stuff like that. Hmm. So there you go. I've credited an inspiration. More than happy to do it. Okay. So we've all seen the flash and we're going to talk about it. Hmm. <clears throat> yes, Jake, do you have something to tell the class? Doubtless thoughts about the Flash. Speaking of the Flash and how I've definitely seen it. Yes, sir. I'm, uh, I'm just going to leave for a little bit. That makes complete sense. Yeah. Are you going to leave quickly or like slowly? I'm going to leave very slowly, but I'll be back. How and, soon? Uh, well, you fill in the blank. Jiffy. Jake will be back in the Jiffy. All right, folks. All right. You heard it. Well, wait. Should me and Ben give our thoughts on the flash while you while you go? Jake's just getting up. He's already gone. He's gone. Yeah, no. I, I cannot tell a lie. I've He's never like, seen anyone move so fast. <laughs> wow. You're supposed to say, not fast enough. Not fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to say, if you've never seen anyone move so fast, then are you legally blind? <laughs> I mean, I, you broke the fiction. Not only yeah. have I seen people move faster, I've seen Jake move faster most of the time. <laughs> Bye, Jake. Bye, Jake. Bye. All right, folks. In case you didn't understand our joshing there, Jake didn't see the Flash. He had a busy week, and he was actually going to see it today in order to be ready to talk about it with us. And he could have, but we told him not to bother. Yeah. Because I didn't tell him not to bother. Well, I told him not to bother because yeah. it sucks. Flash is bad. Yeah. I have some cool context. Hey, yeah, context. You want I the love context? context? Why not? I'm going to do it. Explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. You may think you know what you're dealing with, but believe me, you don't. All right, folks. That, of course, <laughs> our well audio drop that brings us into some context. Ben, lay it on me, man. Yeah. 
So let's see here. We've been we we've done some of these before, but Nathan, I don't know what's dropped yet. Our Spider Verse episode dropped. Yeah, there was a lot of context about like Marvel and its founding. If I'm remembering right, or is that right? Yes, sir. That is correct. Okay, and then I gave I gave a bunch of context about DC and its founding for an episode that hasn't dropped yet. Is that right? That is also correct. Yes. Okay. Well, I'll try to straighten that out if I need to as I go, because this will come out before that one. All right, Flash. He was created in 1940 by Gardner Fox and Harry Lampert for DC Comics. There have been five different Flashes so far. The first Flash was Jay Garrick. <laughs> of course. Let's hear it. Um, who's not the same Flash that appears in this movie or the just or any any anything. If you've ever seen the Flash, who has a metal bowl on his head, <laughs> as some people call it a helmet. That's Jay Garrick. He he was part of the very first superhero team that was created in comics, the Justice Society of America. And after World War II, superheroes weren't as popular. So DC canceled The Flash in 1949. They canceled the Justice Society after that. But just a few years later, they brought back interest in superheroes. They rebooted some characters. So they rebooted The Flash into Barry Allen, who's the Flash of our movie. And also The Flash uh, of the CW shows. Yeah, that's right. right? That's right. That's Barry Allen. So Jay Garrick... Jay Garrick was a college athlete who got his powers after exposure to hard water vapors. <laughs> oh, no. <gasps> Don't breathe them in. Jay Garrick's uh, disease. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Very, very good. Yeah. Barry Allen was a police scientist who, if you, you should know by now, got hit with chemicals that were struck by lightning, which is way cooler mm-hmm. and more visually interesting than hard water vapors. So the first flash falls into the golden age of comics. If you've ever heard of that, that runs from like 1938 to 1956. <laughs> You could say it starts with Superman. Barry Allen is Silver Age. That's like 1956 to 1970, and he too was very popular. Hmm. So the so DC is like, oh, that worked. Let's reboot some more heroes. So they reboot Green Lantern, who had been in the Justice Society as the guy I forgot his name, Allen something, but now he's Hal Jordan. Except they, there's been a bunch of Green Lanterns, right. but Hal Jordan was the Silver Age Green Lantern, the most famous, I dare say. And they're like, now we're going to form the Justice League of America. And they do. And then, in a 1961 Flash comic, DC does something that will have massive ripple effects in the comics industry. Something that greatly informs your entertainment experience today, listener. And that is, they revealed that Jay Garrick and Barry Allen existed on parallel Earths in a shared multiverse. Oh my goodness. So you could argue that there were there were multiverses and comic books before this, kind of in seminal form. But man, this Flash story about these two guys was super popular. And it was very meta. I actually, I haven't read this, but I read about it. And I appreciate the elbow grease that goes into it. I, I bet, Nathan, you will too, I'm guessing. I bet Jake would if he were here. So <clears throat> it's, here's how it's meta. In the comic, Barry Allen, you know, who's the current Flash... He knows about Jay Garrick. Mm -hmm. He knows about the Golden Age Flash. How? Because Jay Garrick is a fictional character in his world, which is explained by saying that these different universes vibrate at different frequencies, and sometimes when you dream, your dreams kind of get tuned to the frequency of the alternate universe, and you wake up and you're like, I've got an idea for a story. So you end up, yeah, you end someone tuned into Jay Garrick's world in a dream, and they wrote a comic book about him. I think that's that's actually pretty fun. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So DC used this multiverse to explain continuity errors. They're like, oh, people like this. Ooh, this is useful. Because 
we have all these characters and timelines, they don't match. But if we just say, well, now this is in that multiverse and this is in that part of the multiverse, we can retcon stuff. We could just make sure that whatever we did previously, it can go in having a legitimate life of its own in its own universe, right? So we don't have to make it all mesh. So, for instance, Justice Society of America is always Earth 2. Right. Justice League is always Earth 1. They have crossover events once a year, but... Okay, it turns out the longer you go on doing this, it doesn't matter. You have continuity problems anyhow. You right. actually create a big mess, kind of like, spoiler, the big bowl of spaghetti that Bruce Wayne uses as an illustration. Mm. And so it's a hot mess, as he says in, in the Flash movie. So it's the 70s. Execs are looking at all this continuity stuff. They're looking at this giant mess of storytelling. It's about to be the 50th anniversary of DC Comics. That's coming up in the mid-80s, but they're looking ahead. And they're like thinking, what do we do about this stuff? Uh, we, we just let writers sweep things under the rug all the time. It gets more and more complex and silly. Well, let's see if we can fix this. So they came up, they come up with this giant comics event, which you've heard of if you know anything about comics. Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm-hmm. This is 1985, limited series. And this is when Barry Allen basically stops being the Flash. And a new Flash, Wally West, who's his nephew, he takes over. But the 12-issue series was DC's attempt to clean up the mess and reset the board completely, create one unified timeline on one version of Earth with one history of all their beloved characters from that point forward. I have been, back back in the days when I used to sit in Barnes & Noble and read graphic novels of all these old superhero stories and catch up on them, when I thought that was a good use of my time and I found it enjoyable... Neither thing is true anymore, I don't think. I tried to read this, and I can confirm that it is intensely tedious. If I had been already a fan of all these characters and really cared, maybe I wouldn't have felt that way. I'm sure it was emotional at the time. I mean, kudos to DC for being willing to kill off a bunch of popular characters in order to clean things up. I appreciate the moxie. I appreciate it. But mm. man, that was it was really boring to try and read. Sort of like the experience of a mutual friend of ours who got drugged to see Avengers Endgame and had never read a comic book or mm-hmm. seen an Avengers movie or anything oh, like that in his life. And it was just like he was supposed to enter into all this. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Except I dare say Endgame was probably more entertaining than this. Although, hey, wh- who am I to say that? That's not necessarily fair. But Okay. So, so DC kills all these beloved characters. They, you know, they kill Barry Allen. They kill Kara Zor-El, or Kara. Kara Zor-El, the original Supergirl, she dies. Hundreds of other characters die. That's some commitment. That's, that's pretty cool. And they institute a policy that writers have to carefully work within this newly established continuity so that there can be one consistent DC story world across comic book titles. Mm. So... Anyway, Flash number three, Wally West. If you've ever just picked up a Flash comic, probably that's the guy that you've seen. Although there's a different Flash now. There's there's Bart Allen, who's Barry's grandson. And then, of course, DC brought Barry Allen back from the dead in 2009. So he's still around again. And then there's a Flash. The newest Flash does a Chinese-American lady named Avery Ho. But who cares? And, well, that, my friend, is your Flash context. I don't have a lot... More to say, except that anytime I have tuned into, well, you know what? We'll save it for baggage. Right. We'll save it for baggage. A little bit of context about this movie. Yeah. Directed by Andy Muschietti, who is an Argentine gentleman. He did a three-minute really? horror short called Mama, which attracted the attention of Guillermo del Toro, famed auteur of all things creepy. And 
Guillermo del Toro produced a feature-length version that Machete directed of this film Mama, about two sort of feral children that are brought into a home and live with their new uncle and aunt or something like that. And then they have a mama, a sort of feral mother monster figure that follows them and has some kind of relationship with them. And if you like movies where people walk through dark houses and then look around corners and, ah, there's something there, then (laughs) it's one of them. Uh, That led to Machete being chosen as the director of It, the very popular Stephen King adaptation. The the new one, obviously, not the Tim Curry thing from the 80s or 90s, but the the recent one that I'm sure you've seen the clown from and stuff like that, if you are at all part of this world we call planet Earth. He also directed It Chapter 2, which was not as well received, but still made a lot of money. And so, and it was a famous troubled production where they had a different auteur. It was actually, uh, what's his face? The guy that ended up directing James Bond, No Time to Die. His name eludes me at this moment, but he was going to do a more faithful adaptation of the novel, including certain controversial elements from the novel. And the studio was just like, ah, sorry, we can't get behind this. And Carrie Joy... Fukunaga or something like that is his name. Yeah, Kerry Joji Fukunaga. Yeah, there you go. I wasn't so far off. You weren't so far off. Um, I'm only 3% of racist, I guess. So he was going to direct it. The studio was like, nah, sorry. So they kind of brought Machete in last minute. And he did a good job showing that he's a good studio man. He can work within their parameters, make a movie that the suits are comfortable with, but and and, and sort of come in at the last minute and... Work within the system, work within what makes the suits comfortable, but also express something of a personal vision. So a little bit like John Favreau with Iron Man or the best of the Marvel guys. He's one of those guys that can bring a little bit of his own moxie to something, but also can color within the lines. At least that's the dream, because we'll talk about whether he did that with Flash or whether we're excited with him being handed the reins to Batman, which apparently he has been in the new yeah. Gunniverse. Now... Even if we decide, as you're probably predicting we will, that The Flash sucks, it's Mm. true that it had a lot of problems and that it's Frankenstein together from Mm. a lot of different elements. This thing was originally shot before COVID or or it began shooting at least before COVID and I think got shut down and went through all that stuff. It began life as part of the DCU, the Snyderverse, as people call it, and was supposed to just exist within that world with that Wonder Woman and that Batman and stuff like that. But the studio literally changed hands and Warner Brothers entered a bright new era of being owned by Discovery and and having different executives. And they basically scrapped the Snyderverse, brought in James Gunn, as I'm sure most of our listeners, if they're interested in movies, are aware. but so basically the whole conceptual framework behind DC films changed while in the middle of making this movie. DC famously scrapped an entire Batgirl movie that featured Michael Keaton as Batman that people were kind of excited about. I'm not because I'm just tired of Warrior Woman. But hey, it would have been Michael mm-hmm. Keaton Batman and maybe a better one than the one we ended up getting. Yeah, But they maybe. scrapped it basically for the tax write-off. They had a com- more or less completed movie. They also had a completed Flash They chose not to scrap it for the tax write-off, which is a decision they might regret. They 
had to go back and reshoot things. Certain plot elements changed. Certain cameos changed. Certain cameos from certain legacy characters changed. Henry Cavill, who plays Superman in the DCU or played Superman in the DCU, was in this, and then he was out of this, and then he was in it again. Originally, it was I think he was one of the people that showed up at the very end, and they had a whole scene with him, which exists somewhere, but they scrapped it in favor of a, uh, we're just doing spoilers from here on out in favor, uh, the movie sucks, that's the, so now you know yeah, what that's we right. think, but they scrapped it in favor of a spoil of a, I thought pretty funny little denouement with George Clooney, I, I enjoyed it that, was. I enjoyed that meta joke. I liked it, it actually, I, I mean, it had the really weird effect of making me want to see a George Clooney as older Batman. Yeah, I could actually do it. I mean, yeah. I just love the idea of older Batman. I'm really sorry that we're abandoning. I mean, I I really liked the Ben Affleck Batman for all that he never got a proper yep. movie. But yep. that sort of old Batman thing is cool. And I like Batman being like a more paternal figure, a more more of a patriarch and less of like a young dude figuring things out, which is yep. seems all we get with Batman these days. Anyway, so they they there were different cameos. This movie, as you've probably heard by now, has these different things drawing from the larger DC movie continuity. It's got Christopher Reeve. It's got a, a, an appearance by the famously never completed Nick Cage, Superman, Tim Burton product. It's, it's got all these, the stuff from old IP. And so they, we're swapping in and out different things and different paying different lip service to. It's actually got Jay Garrick running. I think that they took that from the CW show, his visualization. But it's got you've got the guy with the metal bowl on his head. The other earlier Flash, Jay Garrick, in a little moment. Of right. Yeah, you've got all kinds of stuff like that. But 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 a lot of things have changed. Were changed. I don't have confirmation on this, but everyone's certainly speculating that they redid a lot of the action and stuff late in the process because the CGI just feels, as the whole internet has told us by now, remarkably shoddy, even even by the standards of Marvel or some of the stuff that that does kind of lame work. The special effects are just bad in this movie. And so, yeah, I don't know. This movie was already bombed as of us talking about it. It did not make anything like the money that it needed to make in its opening weekend. And it only looks like it's going to go down from there. And people have speculated why that is. I mean, maybe people just weren't interested in any kind of Flash movie that maybe they weren't interested in kind of a lame duck movie from a cinematic universe that has already been canceled. Maybe the movie just didn't look that great. Lots of things. They They managed to do a stupid thing and kind of shoot themselves in the foot where they drummed up a lot of advanced publicity from celebrities that people trust. So James Gunn said that this was a masterpiece. They got Stephen King to say it was a masterpiece. Of course, he's friends with Machete from the It movies. They got Guillermo del Toro. They, they got all these people. That Did are del kind of, Toro say it? I, I think so. I'm pretty sure I saw that. But yeah, they got all these kind of nerd, people with nerd cred to say it's a really great superhero movie. And maybe at some point it was actually several revisions ago. I mean, this movie has, you can see how there might be a good movie locked inside of the terrible one we got, Mm -hmm. but also it's possible. They just gave some people some money to say some things and none of them really meant it. And oh, I bet Stephen King meant it. Yeah. I think Stephen King probably just has, he just has bad taste. Bad taste. Yeah. And Guillermo del Toro, maybe he just wanted to support his friend. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, they got all this, they got all these people to go out on a limb and the limb broke because no, everyone's just like, what, why did you say this movie's, a masterpiece. 
So I think that's all the context. Let's mm-hmm. talk about a baggage. It doesn't matter. It's in the past. <laughs> yeah, but it still hurts. Oh, yes, the past can't hurt. I never look back, darling. It distracts from the now. Then, of course, our famed audio drop for when we talk about our baggage. What baggage <laughs> did you bring to The Flash? I guess, according to Jake, we both thought this was going to be a masterpiece and the best film of the summer, and if not the year, if not the universe. I was hopeful it would be a great movie with heart and action and all kinds of fun things and visually very cool and all this stuff. But other than that, my baggage with The Flash is I've read a few Flash comics. I, st- I used to own the Flash issue where Captain Cold or Captain Freeze or whoever it is comes in and gruesomely murders someone with all these icicles. It's very, like, gross. You're just like, ah, this is one of the superhero comic. I don't know where I got this comic or why I owned it. I'm sure I got it at random from a comic store. Who knows if it's still in a box somewhere in my basement. But I've, anyway, so I was never a, fl- a Flash fan growing up. Bless you. And I like the idea of the Flash. Who doesn't like the idea of someone who can run really fast? But when you read a Flash comic, I don't know. The ones that I read didn't seem that fun. Yeah. I've I've tuned into the CW show. Well, I haven't. I've I've watched scenes from the CW show and I'm I'm like, this is lame. And I'm like, he's fighting a guy who shoots things from a gun. And instead of like running and fast and grabbing the gun, it's like he lets the speed at which the guy attacks determine the speed at which he reacts so that something there can be a conflict so that there can be an action scene. Because if he acted like the Flash instead, he would, every time a bad guy did anything with any kind of weapon, he would just go and like take the weapon and that would, there would be no fight. Right. So I, I just, I, I can't, I just can't enjoy that. I'm sorry. Maybe if I actually watched an episode and got into it and was like, I like this character. This is fun. People I, who like those CW shows swear by them, say it's like I some know. of the best stuff. I know. I I've, just, I've never watched them. I've, I, I'm sure that I shot myself in the foot by just watching clips from action scenes and stuff, but I just didn't have much, much, much fun with, with a lot of that. And so... Yeah, but I guess what I can say to the positive is that it's full-on, sincere, old-school comic book energy. That's what's going into those CW shows. Like, this matters. We care about this. And in this movie, it tries to split the difference. Mm. And that's partly the Ezra Miller of it all and probably partly the studio Frankensteining of it all. And I think probably also partly the misconception of it all. Some of it has to – some of the blame goes to Machete. Mm Mm-hmm. The, some of the some of the tonal blame, like are we going to be sincere? Are we going to be silly? Does what happens in the plot matter? Does it not matter? Does what happens emotionally matter? Does it not matter? But yes to all those questions. Yes, sorry, you movie, you can't answer yes to all those questions. So I don't think that the CW show makes that mistake. From what I've seen, I think the CW show is like all in, and I do appreciate that. Yeah, and I don't feel like I've given the show a fair shake. But there you have my reaction. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll talk about the the tonal inconsistencies of this movie. My baggage is I don't really know The Flash that well. I think the only real baggage that I bring to this is loving Quicksilver in the, the Brian Singer oh, uh, yeah. film slash films, I guess. Quicksilver was very well conceived in the X stuff, and they simply got to the super speed thing first. And it's been 
incredibly hard to top. Well, because that that came that scene in Days of Future Past came out, best scene in the whole movie, and then after that was Avengers: Age of Ultron mm-hmm. with their rendition of Quicksilver, which was never interesting. Yeah, pretty lame. And then bad movie, but X Men Apocalypse has a pretty fun Quicksilver scene as yep. well, and it's just like they got there first. There's really only so many ways to visualize this. I'm sure maybe there are some other good ones that they haven't thought of yet, but X Men came up with an incredibly fun way to visualize it and make these fantastic sequences. And unfortunately, the only time the Snyderverse really came close was in the Snyder Justice League cut when two things happen that are cool. Flash saves a girl or something like that when we're introduced Mm -hmm. to him. And it's a good scene. It's very much downstream of the Quicksilver stuff, but it's good. And then there's when he goes into the Flash Force, when he turns back time at the end. That was awesome. It's cool, yeah. And and that works as an emotional climax, and Snyder's creating his own visual world. But he's not really doing just the same thing as the X-Men movie already did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good... If, if we had gotten a Flash more like that one and this one would have been okay. And I think Edward, Ezra Miller is perfectly charming in both cuts of Justice League. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll talk about this movie. I think that's really all the baggage I bring to it. I mean, I when I was a kid, I read Batman. That's all I ever read. And when other people showed up in Batman's world that weren't from the strict sort of that weren't either inmates of Arkham Asylum or the usual, his, his usual allies list. I really didn't like it. I didn't like Batman and Superman crossing over. I mm-hmm. liked, I liked Batman to be kind of grounded and in a more realistic world. And I appreciated when it was allowed to be. And really, I mean, even when they started doing Avengers in the MCU, I was like, really? We have this Iron Man thing that's kind of fun and grounded a little bit and has Tony Stark or has Robert Downey Jr. playing kind of more of a real character. And now we're going to bring like space wizards and stuff in. And I was a little disappointed. Obviously, it's gone that direction and there's no use complaining now. And some of those movies are good and some of them are bad. But I, I liked my comics to be more grounded as a kid. So I like Batman. I like Tintin a lot. Mm-hmm. And I liked some Alan Moore, some like dark crap that was supposed to be cool that you were supposed to read at the time I read mm-hmm. it and it was fine for what it was, I guess. But yeah, I don't have any history with the flash. I don't know that I could barely have told you what the flash was, but you know, why don't we give our point of view on this film? Luke, you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. New fantastic point of view. Good as a point of view, anyway. Well, Ben, you already started to give your thoughts a little bit, but yeah, what's your big picture thoughts on this film? Mm. No, that was my big picture growl. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it is a big mess of spaghetti. Yeah, and it really doesn't know whether or not to care about anything it sets up. The one thing it does care about is it cares that Barry's mom is dead. And it cares that Barry has some emotional closure. Yeah, it's weird. The movie actually, for all its messiness, does have an emotional through line. That's right. That it more or less sets up, pays off, like does its job. Yeah. It's not that exciting and it's not that moving, but it is there. It is there. It's just all the other stuff that surrounds it that doesn't work. Yeah, that's that's right. You want me just to give you want me to give positives and negatives as I see it, or sure. what, do you, what do you want? Sure, How do you yeah. want me to do this? <clears throat> I think the best scene is clearly when he's talking with Batfleck mm-hmm. about changing the past, and it's clear that Ben Affleck cares for him and is kind of a paternal figure, but is also not emotionally there enough 
to be able to, Barry's like, I'm going to get a pizza. And he's like, maybe not tonight, maybe some other time. It's actually a really good scene. Yeah, it is. The best scene in the movie, I think. And Ben Affleck is the best performance in the movie. Yeah, but you want that kind of emotion with Michael Keaton. And boy, you don't get it. No, you. Anyway, you definitely don't get it. And you do want it. And that's, that's just, that is a script writing. That is a conceptual failure. There's so many conceptual failures in this movie, but. Definitely one is that it doesn't recreate what is what is what the movie actually promises it will do, I think. Well, at least this is the best version of this movie or part of it, is that it's going to recreate the tonal world of a lot of various other movies and properties you've seen. Like mm-hmm. it's going to recreate the world of Burton's Batman. Right. Batman or Batman Returns, you're gonna get a tonal recreation, not just Michael Keaton playing the same character. And then you also, you're, you're given the promise of sort of a, well, we're back in the Snyderverse, so you're going to get a tonal recreation of that. Right. Oh, I mean, sort of. A little bit. A little. You get a lame diet Snyderverse, and you get mm-hmm. not, you not only do you not get a tonal or visual representation of Burton's world, you don't you even really get a Michael Keaton Batman who feels like he's in continuity <sighs> with that character. He no, just, he's he not. just feels like a different character. He does. More like a alternate universe Ben Affleck Batman maybe than a Yeah. like a than anything to do with the original Michael Keaton conception. Yeah, that's right. Of I th- Batman. I think that's very true even though they used like they got the same set or they recreated the same set as the original Batman movie that black and white checkerboard floor. I remember from so many watches of the Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Who knows why, but what a bizarre compelling movie that we'll talk about soon. Yes. But I recognized it. I was like, "Oh, yeah. This is this is that set." Good job, but you'd have to do a little more than that if you want to actually recreate the same world or recreate it in any meaningful way. You have to do more than give me props from that movie, like the like the laugh, the Joker's creepy laughing bag, or the Batmobile. You have to give me the same Batman somehow. And so the movie just misses big opportunities like that. It's like Muschietti didn't have the vision, or maybe he wasn't allowed to have the vision of doing something interesting mm-hmm. like that, which would have been interesting. And in fact, Batman, that Batman's grim, dark world might have worked a lot better emotionally for telling the kind of story they want to tell, which is this world dies. And then, in fact, I, if I understand the movie right, I sort of tuned out a little because I think it became nonsense plot wise. This Batman's world was going to that Batman's world died. But I think Barry just wiped it out as a multiverse. I think he uncreated it. Although it's not clear that that happened either, because it's not actually clear, movie. Yeah, I think this movie leaves an open question of... What actually happens? What, did what our hero from happening? the Tim Burton movies get wiped out by Michael Shannon's <laughs> General Zod. Zod 20 years after the Tim Burton movie, which is a messy way for that universe to end, if that's actually what they left open? I think I, I felt the movie... I think I felt it a lot of ways. I felt it... So I felt it on that tonal level. But then... It's like the main theme is that some things you can't figure out. You just have to move on. You have to leave them behind and move on. Like so, And so our mistakes or the tragedies that happen to us, they make us who we are. We're not supposed to go back and fix them, Barry. That's what Ben Affleck says. And the fact is, the fact is that I didn't leave satisfied that Zod's victory was a sure thing if the Flash could keep turning back time. I actually thought, no, actually, if you just did this a few more times, you probably could figure it out. Right. That's how I felt. I was like, I don't think that was fair. You just didn't Groundhog Day it enough, actually. There's a number of things like that. I mean, the fact that he doesn't go and see his mother's murderer. Right. It's like, dude, aren't you the least bit curious to know 
like anyone, you, you can't just like sort of drive over that without stopping for a second. Like you could maybe come up with a compelling reason why he doesn't, even an emotional reason, but the movie is just like, he doesn't seem to occur to him. And there's just any number of things like that that are strange. He learns the lesson that he, some things you can't change, and then he goes ahead and changes something to make something better. And yeah, I hate that. It's just so cheap. All for the sake of a cheap joke. Right. Which is seeing George... It's George Clooney. It's not Ben Affleck anymore. He's Batman now. So the movie doesn't really... It it won't play by its own rules. And it takes it takes away all the... like. There's a lot of emotional stakes riding on Barry learning that lesson and being willing to completely let go of a world where his mom lives. Right. So the lesson, Barry, is don't go back and change time. Oh, I'll do it anyway. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> credits. Well, so like, credits. Like, it yeah. was funny. I, I love the idea. So my favorite time travel movie, I haven't seen it for years. It's probably got bad stuff. But my favorite time travel movie by far is 12 Monkeys, which is a Spoiler alert if for a movie that's 30 years old or whatever. It's a closed loop time travel story yep. where the character wants to change something and then he comes to the <laughs> inevitable tragic realization that he's only playing into the thing that he remembers already happening. Yeah. And it's a beautifully sort of fatalistic movie. And this movie could have done something like that. I mean, it's it would have been more feel good than that probably but yeah. it, it could have kind of been the anti back to the future the well actually you can't just go back and fix everything and there's a real potency to that as a piece of myth making as a lesson for a superhero to learn like we can all relate to uh, you know there's things i'd like to fix but i can't and also i need to appreciate the fact that god used certain things in my life gave me certain scars that are actually helpful or that have developed things in me that i wouldn't want to fix if i could yeah, those are good ideas for a piece of sci-fi. Those are good ideas to and, play with. I mean, let's say the most obvious thing that we can. This is the exact same thing that Spider Verse is playing with. Yes, that's true. It's exact same thing. There's no difference in the core thematic idea. It, there is a difference in the way they're playing with them, or just how meta they want to be. Spider Verse is a lot more meta. Yeah, and this actually has the lesson that I think we would want Spider-Verse to have in some sense. I mean, it's so ham-fisted that you can hardly say that, mm -hmm. but it's like we want Miles to have to bear responsibility the way that the Flash ostensibly in the movies, not particularly compelling or particularly self-consistent way. Mm -hmm. the, the lesson, let me put it this way, the lesson that the Flash thinks it's giving us is the lesson that we would like Spider-Verse to properly give us. But it's so cheap and not self-consistent and all over the place. I mean, Batman for some reason is an expert in multiverse theory and stuff like that. There's just random sort of choices like that mm -hmm. where you're like, why is this character delivering exposition? Why is this guy acting this way? Why does this guy know this <sighs> thing? What's, what's interesting about that? What idea or thought process? Why, why did you think doing it this way would be more entertaining or more interesting or more mm -hmm. illuminating? I'm not convinced you have answers to that no. question. No, and I just had another thought about this stuff. I, oh, I'm sorry. My thoughts are going all over the place. Like go, a bowl of spaghetti. You, yeah, like, like, like a bowl of spaghetti. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> well, let me just keep, keep, yeah. Throwing the noodles into the bowl. Mm -hmm. uh, I was really annoyed with Barry's parents. Mm -hmm. Here's his mom, this super sweet lady who's like full of warmth and life. His dad seems like a stable provider. And yet, they let their kid to grow up into such a stupid brat. 
Like younger Barry, especially, what an obnoxious, irritating, conceited, selfish idiot. And who are these parents who, like, didn't they care at all or anything? Didn't he, like, absorb some of their family culture instead of just being an insane toddler that they have given money to? Well, that's there's another thing where the movie's just weirdly underdeveloped or they must have cut out. It's like, what is your conception of this character, guys? Is this guy autistic? Is there something wrong with Barry? Is there a reason he's acting so, like, borderline insane yeah. all the time? Like, the, especially young multiverse Barry is such an unlikable character. He's got this crazy laugh. There's multiple closes-ups of him shoving food into his mouth. Mm-hmm. and There's shots of him vomiting. And it's just like, it feels like you have an angle on this character that comes out of something. Like, he's scripted to be truly antisocial or truly annoying or truly, yeah. even like I said, autistic or yeah. Asperger's or something. But the movie never commits to any of those things. So you're just like, maybe the movie just thinks this guy's normal. And Ezra Miller sucks at playing normal, and he's just an annoying guy. It's really hard to tell. It, like, one of the worst things a movie, I always kind of think, it's it's not bad for a movie to be confusing, but if you're confused about whether you're supposed to be confused, that's, that's frustrating. Bad. That's frustrating. Like, you watch Mission Impossible Part 1 or something like that, and you may not understand what's going on, but you understand that Ethan Hunt doesn't either, and so you're not frustrated. But if you can't find your bearings, it could be very frustrating. And in a character sense, that's what this movie does, where you're like, I'm not even sure what you think I'm supposed to take away from how Barry's acting or how Michael Keaton's acting. For like, no. like what is your actual perspective as, as filmmakers on these characters, on these events? It's really hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It it's not It's not clear. And it makes everything feel arbitrary. I mean, this is one of those movies along the same lines, I think, is what you're saying, Nathan, where... Something that I, I hate this in movies. I will tolerate it if it in a certain way. But it's 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 the it's the device, it's the comedic device where a character starts saying all these crazy, stupid things and the people around him are just like they have no reaction. Mm-hmm. They don't respond. And so I hate that too. I so so Barry's gonna come, he's gonna come back to a reality where his where both his parents are alive and well. He's gonna say all these things that make no sense. That sound like what a crazy person would say. His parents are going to have no response. They're going to pretend that everything is fine. And that is so boring. Man, what bad writing. Yeah, well, and it's just like, I, I kind of think the same thing in world. You could, you could do a movie like Casablanca or like an Aaron Sorkin script where everybody's just operating on a level of wit. That, sure. Like they just live in witty dialogue world. That's fine. But there's some movies where it's like, that guy just said something really witty or he said something really funny and no one's smiling. Like if, if I said that, if you said that, we would all react. And this is just something I noticed. It's like, why why, why are you all sitting here taking this brilliant character for granted? It's, it's, it's that style of thing. That's not specific to this movie, but it's the mm. sort of thing that you're talking about. It's, it's just like, right. why aren't these people behaving like human beings? It's not funny for every, like mm-hmm. we're, we're past Joss Whedon. That was a long time ago now where everyone's just kind of a secret hipster, like where we live in hipster world where no one reacts to anything and everybody's above it all. Like that's not cool anymore. It's been, and it hasn't been for a long time. And yeah, I want you to write those parents about like what they would be. That's a scene. Suddenly you've got some drama. You've got something interesting. Here's right. a guy that's going nuts and his parents are like, who are you? Spider-Verse is not this dumb. Spider-Verse writes the parents. They're like, Miles is acting weird and crazy and they're like really bothered and they're really irritated at him 
Yeah, and that's how you get drama. That's how that's you right. get you start with okay, if a guy was actually doing this or if this actually happened, then then what would happen? That's the question that you ask yourself and suddenly you have drama. And when a movie is sort of lazily bypassing like those kinds of questions, answering those kinds of questions, it can get really tiresome really fast. Oh man. I mean, I yeah, so many things bothered me. You got the you've got further arbitrariness in the plot like, well, in order to become the Flash, you have to be here at this moment in this world. Oh, you don't have this internship in your version of the multiverse. Well, younger Barry will break into the building where I had my internship and my and it's like this is really boring. Like Well, and people listening might say, "Okay, but you've liked movies that have less consistency in their sci-fi mm-hmm. plotting and to that i would say yeah but that's all this movie has in other words if the characters were firing on all cylinders sure. if everything There's was working tons we would forgive then we'd be like okay i don't care how barry gets his powers back he's just like it's a detail in the back it's, right. it's it's just okay now it's time for him to get his powers back yeah but when all you have is plot mechanics then you start to care a great deal about like what he needs to splash himself with these chemicals yeah when and why and I, I mean i think i think the problem the problem is that it's all of one fabric right mm-hmm. so everything feels arbitrary from the behavior of different characters to the re, to 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 the to the decisions that they make and this breaking into the central city crime lab is part of that arbitrary so everything it, when everything feels that way you resent it but yeah, we I think we gladly overlook arbitrary things in movies all the time because not everything feels arbitrary. Yeah. I mean, oh, I, okay. My thoughts really are spaghetti flying all over the room now to, to mix my metaphors a bit, see. But I just want to talk about the distastefulness of this movie for a second. Mm-hmm. I was about to go there too, so Were yes, you? please. Oh, cool. All right. Well, everything in this movie is crass. Not everything. But it's a very crass movie. It's It's... It's not just like, well, this movie's really dumb, but you can take your kids to see it. It'll be kind of fun. No, no, no. Like, this movie is actually on the grosser side. It's like, like on the, it's just. Even just things like I said, the close-ups of food being shoved into a guy's mouth, an obnoxious laugh from Barry 2. Yeah, uh, it feels aggressive. Vom- like, close-ups of people vomiting, like, humorous punch into vomit after some crazy thing has happened. Oh, look, he's. He's holding a paper plate over his privates. Oh, look, he's doing it again. Oh, look, it's a third or a fourth shot of him doing that. Oh, you can almost see him completely naked. Oh, look, it's five minutes of this guy running around naked. Well, I guess we didn't quite see all of him. It's like, really, movie? Everything is kind of scuzzy. Like, it's kind of gross. There's just some crass jokes that are really, that are unpleasant. There's, it's just like... All kinds of things. Well, and my wife would have, I, I'm not exaggerating. There's zero exaggeration what I'm about to say. I'm glad I did not take my wife to see this movie because I think she would have walked out within the first 10 minutes. She is sensitive to scenes of children being put in danger. And this one has a children put in danger, played for laughs scene that A, she couldn't have, she would have just walked out, which whatever people have that that doesn't necess- that's not necessarily a valid criticism, but but I thought it was in poor taste. Basically, what happens is all these babies get thrown out the window of a collapsing hospital. This hospital building is coming down, and the maternity mm-hmm. ward topples over, and then you have babies flying through the air. And so, obviously, Barry does his thing, 
and saves the babies. And maybe if we lived in a culture that didn't already hate babies, I would be okay with this just being a kind of silly extreme citizens in danger kind of thing Mm -hmm. that's obviously not going to end with a bunch of babies splatted on the sidewalk. But living as I do in a world that does have a distaste for young infants, I'm sorry to be a a downer or something, but like just seeing the image of a bunch of little babies flying through the air. And then they do jokes like a thing of syringes or scalpels has also come undone and is flying towards one of the babies and a thing of acid is flying. I don't remember what all it is. It's acid, yeah. But scalpels. And you know they're not going to go through with any of it. But it's just like, I'm sorry. I mean, I have a kid that that age. I have two kids that are close to that age. I just don't find it. Sorry if this sounds puritanical to some of our listeners, but I just, at this stage in my life, I do not find that funny. And if you're going to make it funny, you have to be a lot better at your job than Machete is. I mean, people might be wondering, why are you guys going after the vulgarity when you liked Guardians, Guardians of, of the Galaxy, Galaxy yeah. 3 so much? And that's actually a fair question. Yep. And the answer is not that this movie's worse. It's actually probably better than Guardians of the Galaxy in terms of just comparing content to content. Mm-hmm. But the skill with which a story is told does make a difference. And James Gunn is much better at selling a dirty joke than Andy Machete is. I mean, if you've ever been in the room in real life with someone who makes a dirty joke and tells a dirty joke or tells a dirty joke and they do not get away with it, it's usually because they're bad at it and they're embarrassed of it and they're kind of they they muffle the tone somehow like they don't they don't just nail it. And I'm not saying it's good to ever make a dirty joke. I'm just describing something here. There are people that can get away with it because they're confident they're audacious and for whatever reason, they have the type of personality where they can get away with it. And James Gunn does in his filmmaking have the type of personality where he can make a lot of things funny that shouldn't be funny. That's a, not a godly skill of his, but it is a real skill. Whereas you compare that to machete and it's like every time he tries to do one of these, Hey, look, I'm being so audacious thing, audacious things. It comes off as kind of half-hearted and in poor taste and it doesn't have the yeah. kind of joyful audacity that like James Gunn or. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But also the fact that James Gunn is telling a story with characters and emotional through lines and moral content. Right. And this movie, it wants to, but it's but it's really not. Right. And so you're just left with kind of empty spectacle and the, the things that are gross about it really stand out. And the babies are also horribly CGI'd which maybe they had to do because if they'd realistically created a scenario of babies flying through the air. I think they would have. I think they meant to. Yeah, but it ends up just being, I mean, the reason I compare it to the telling of a dirty joke is just, it's it's just one of those things where unless you, unless you could do it, if unless you can get the tone just right, unless you can do this perfectly, unless you can find the right piece of music, the right editing rhythm to make it sort of charming, and to draw us into it and to make it our joke as well as your joke, then you just, you, you have to stay far away from it. And that's mm-hmm. how the movie feels with all the vomiting and the annoying Barry stuff and the vulgarity. It's like your first, the first good thing, the godly thing would be not to do it. If you're going to do it, you better have the talent to be able to calibrate it just right so that the audience is with you. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't think even the non-Christians in my audience were 
laughing during any of those parts. Like they, they, I, they, I will, they weren't I, with I, the movie. I will admit that I chuckled about the baby scene. I, I should probably feel worse about it, but I don't know. I don't care whether it, I mean, I appreciated the baby scene on one hand. I, I got what they were doing. I got the joke. Like the joke is just that we're being so audacious and, and ridiculous here that yep. you have to laugh. It's a very James Gunn kind of thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, it is. Yeah, that's true. I just think James Gunn would have done a better job one way or another. Like He would have. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, and all of it's so clumsy. The CG is so bad and every I don't know, everything is just kind of clumsy. Yeah, you're just you just find yourself, or if you're me at least, I found myself distracted and annoyed and outside of it from the very beginning. And it's intercut with this Batman scene where he looks really rubbery and fake. Like the the CGI is bad. And I don't usually like to complain about those kinds of things because to me it's like a comedian complaining about airplane food or something. It's like you're in an airplane. It is flying you through the air. Mankind has dreamed of this for millennia and you're gonna complain about the peanuts. It's kind of like that with special effects. It's like We've got dinosaurs and armies. Like, be happy. Like, who cares if it's the best or second? It just has to be visually coherent. It has to to be good enough to do its job. It has to feel like it was intentional and part of a visual strategy to to tell a certain story. I mean, I'm I'm famous now on this podcast for... Being a big fan of King Arthur: Legend of the Sword, where mm-hmm. there's there's a there's one sequence in particular in that movie that you could poke at for being terrible CG. I mean, there's 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 a bunch of CG that's that's quite dated, but right, I, it has this going for it. It is part of a visual storytelling strategy. It has the sound design to back it up. You're like, oh, this is an extreme stylistic decision. The CG was not quite enough, but I like this strategic decision, or maybe you didn't, but I like it. And I'm like, oh, this is a thing that you're doing. I suspend disbelief. I give you the bad CG. I don't care. Yeah. I like the I like the idea of what you're doing. I like the strategy. It fits with what you're doing in this whole movie. It's still a fun scene. So yeah, I, I oftentimes I, with stuff like that, you find some way to stylize it just a little bit. So that's that right. It's like in this universe, that's what it looks like. It's fine. That's right. Who cares if it's strictly photorealistic? Yeah, that's and that's totally fine. And CG is allowed to do that. But it just feels like Andy Machete didn't have or wasn't allowed to have or didn't have the budget to have, but I still am going to fault him here. And like, he didn't actually have a visual strategy. He, I mean, he, I think he was trying, yeah. but he didn't, ha- didn't have a good one. Well, one thing that you can do just to see is you can look at the way that Batfleck looks and the way that he's photographed in his suit. He looks kind of weird. And what you realize is that suit was built by Snyder's people to be filmed in the kind of dark, shadowy, high contrast way that Snyder likes to feel. And it's not actually meant to ever be seen under the lighting conditions that that Machete puts it under. So that's just a very simple example of a place where they're careless, a place where you have a thing that wasn't designed to do what you're making it do. Mm. And so if you found the stylization to make it work, it'd be just fine. Like it, it does, in fact, work. There's ways to make it work. Mm-hmm. You're, you just either don't care or haven't been allowed, as you said, to mm-hmm. make it work. And there's just any number of elements like that in the special effects and the storytelling. Yeah. I don't want to get too far away from talking about Michael Keaton because that was the big disappointment of the movie for me. I mean, Michael uh-huh. Keaton does a good job. He's a good actor. And he does what he can with the material. But the character is so uninteresting and really doesn't have anything to do with the Michael Keaton Batman 
that we know and love. It doesn't even have his his. I mean, it it, it has the uh, the bare outline of a very familiar emotional arc. Oh, it's the old yep. it's the old law dog who's retired and he's he's lost his gumption. He doesn't want to fight crime. He's lost his purpose. He just wants to drink and die. But now the young blood, it's gonna he's gonna come back to life and maybe even make a noble sacrifice. And he's gonna be like, thanks for thanks for bringing me back. And so he has that arc, except the movie doesn't really care to sketch it in or make you make it have carry any weight. As, I mean, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's like looking at a coloring book that no one actually colored. It's like I, mm-hmm. I see what each one of these pictures was supposed to be, but you didn't actually bring them to life. Like there's yeah. there's there's no there there. There's the, the, the in between material that would bring it all to life isn't there. So you're left with Keaton doing his best to bring it to life and being Michael Keaton. He does his best. But there's really not a much, and a lot of our time spent with Batman is just spent with a CGI Michael Keaton who's doing things that the old Batman could never do, and just behaving like a generic CGI superhero guy. Yeah, and it's and, quite boring to watch. Yeah, and they'll play the old Elfman theme, and you'll be like, "I like the Elfman theme, but this isn't actually the Batman that I remember. This is some different Batman." <clears throat> yep. We've it's all, it's too bad. Yeah, we've also got like the random violent disposal of guards at that Russian facility that car is just like punching into the sun, basically. <laughs> yeah, and then, like every one of those punches, you're like, well, there's a another guy that was just doing his job that died. So it's got a little bit of that, which at least in Snyder, you always kind of felt like that was the point. Like Snyder actually is a Nazi, <laughs> and so. He he really gets off on the idea that when superhumans do their thing, little unimportant people die. Like that's that's part of his his deal, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. But I I actually appreciate that a lot more than I do just like the we didn't think about this because we don't care about the morality of our world. It's kind of funny these guys are bouncing around like cartoons as yep. we punch them into mountains. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so so th- there's that. There's all kinds of failures to make emotional connections. There's, oh, sorry, one point of arbitrariness else before we go on, which is that it doesn't seem like Barry's multiverse meddling necessarily creates a new version of himself, except that it does in the main storyline. That is also totally arbitrary. Why is there not another version of himself in the new reality he created with Clooney Batman? Right. Maybe there is. Maybe there, but that's, it's just, it, it all stinks. Also, have you ever seen and of course you have a, i mean a more lazily written love interest there's no love interest there's a girl who decides for plot reasons that she is interested for no good reason in an old guy she might have had a crush on in college and she makes moves on him even though he's clearly mentally disturbed unable to have even a five-minute conversation with her without going crazy and just and, an unpleasant fellow and just unpleasant and all that, and she just keeps on insisting that she's in love with him, and that I, I I hate that kind of thing. And the actress is not very. It's maybe it's not her fault, but she certainly doesn't pull it off. No, I mean I, I'm not sure. I feel poorly towards her. I don't know how she could, but yeah, it's yeah, it's not fair to ask her to do that when there's nothing to play against. Well, and also, come on, do we really need another nerd guy who has a hot girl that's jonesing after him? Can that's so dumb. Can we not have the guy make the move? Is that not allowed anymore? Can we not have the fantasy for nerds everywhere that maybe if I was cool enough, 
I could do something to attract the girl. Like, we're not allowed to do that anymore. It's just got to be like, well, maybe sometimes girls like nerds and she has all the power in the relationship and it's just boring and stupid. And Yeah. I also don't like, I don't know. I don't like Barry. It's annoying. It became more and more annoying that Barry was just a sad loser. It's just more and more annoying. Yeah, I don't remember Ezra Miller. People didn't like him. A lot of people didn't like him in the Snyder stuff or in the Whedon stuff, but I always thought that he was pretty likable, just as the, the eager dork kind of character. Yeah. But, man, he... I don't know if knowing about his personal problems affects mm-hmm. it at all, but I also don't care. His personal problems are out there, and the movie has to deal with them one way or another. Well, he also just looks older than he did in Justice League because he is older, and it just feels more pathetic that it's like all he can do is rehearse his past and well, the trauma of his past. This is something that I've noticed a lot of modern movies fail at too. It's like they just kind of expect you as an audience to go through the motions of liking a character because he's the hero. And it's like, I would really like to see something that makes me invest in how great this guy is. Let's have him save a puppy at the beginning. I guess he does save babies, but and a dog. Yeah. But okay. So he does literally save a puppy. I got my wish, but he's annoyed when he's doing it. He's under duress. They've got this whole plot mechanic where he has to get a candy bar before he can save the babies from acid. Mm-hmm. And it's like, is it too much to ask for you to just give me a scene where he's likable, where he does something that endures me to him? And again, I guess we could say saving him, saving babies. And I, the only thing that I like, I mean, as, as he goes, I will say this, he gets, he does some more likable things. It's nice to watch. The, there's, a, there's a nice dynamic that the movie doesn't properly exploit, but there is something with, Older Barry being confronted with his younger self and being annoyed by his younger self and wanting mm-hmm. to teach his younger self yep. and his younger self. Yeah, that's like a that was cool. That's a dynamic that you could imagine a good sci-fi or superhero movie really playing with in a fun way. Yeah, and he and Supergirl have some good chemistry, actually, in my opinion. Yeah, I I didn't mind Supergirl as far as she went. Hey, speaking of again, here's another strand of spaghetti for you. But speaking of extra textual material, man. The, this movie is more distasteful to contemplate in the light of Ezra Miller's evils and the crimes and things. You mm-hmm. think of him exposing himself in this film over and over yeah. again, and it just becomes grosser and grosser. So, so there's a line at the beginning of the movie where he's like talking to people who've been traumatized by the big right. accident, and he's like, be sure to get some mental help. We as the Justice League aren't it, very good at that. It feels like a metatextual kind of wink yep. at the audience and a very tasteless one yeah walter cha picked up on that and was like that should have been cut that's really gross right well and then having the po- i don't know if you stayed for the post credits scene where he's just drunk with i did aquaman and it's like super lame and depressing and not entertaining and kind of i like, stayed for that okay you guys suck we we get it, it was there supposed to be a joke here was there a punchline? there it was not fun at all oh so oh uh, yeah so karazor l tired as we all are, I hope, of women superheroes dressed up to be sex objects and also kicking butt. The only thing, and this, I have to say that I found this kind of odd, is that, man, she folds faster than a gambler who, I don't, I can't complete this metaphor. Well, the she, one I'm used to is faster than Superman on a laundry day. So. <laughs> That's a little too on the nose, Nathan. <laughs> Man, she really cannot stand up to Zod. Like Superman fights Zod for like 15 minutes and then breaks his neck. But she fights Zod for like three minutes and then he kills her. 
Girls um, are weaker. I guess that's what the movie's saying. I, yeah, I was like, I mean, I I appreciate this in a weird way. It's a it's a little bit of a letdown, but it's also you don't want to say true to life. But yeah, that was odd. That was an odd choice. Odd for Zod. Yeah, it was weird. Make her significantly, obviously weaker than Kal-El. Well, that reminded me of another thing that's a travesty about this movie. You have the screen's greatest psychopath, Michael Shannon. You paid him to come back, and then you give him nothing to do. I mean, I understand he's playing Zod, and there's only it's a not a broad parameter, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. man, give him something and and give him show how this scenario is different for Zod. Change him up a little bit. I, I give Michael Shannon. If you got Michael Shannon, you got to give Michael Shannon something to do. It's just no fair. Not to yeah. give Michael Shannon. I mean, Michael Shannon's such an entertaining actor. Like, yeah, to have him in your movie and then just ask him to play the greatest hits from an old movie is a super lame use of him. Also, to have a villain in your movie that has no personal relation to your hero and that is kind of incidental to the whole thing. I understand the true bar- villain was Barry himself, but most mm-hmm. of the movie we're thinking about how to defeat Zod, and he's That's just such a, a non-character in the story that. He is. He's super lame. He is. Speaking about that final action scene, you start to get some fun ideas in there, but it never really takes off. And then, of course, conceptually, the main problem is that you have this army of Kryptonians who can all move as fast as Superman, who are slowly, like, marching and gunning a very small (laughs) human-armed force for, like, half an hour. Uh, It just is like, guys, come on. Stop. Just, come on. Just think about what this actually is. Well, also, I am so tired of this new cliche of we all feel bad about Man of Steel's destructive mm-hmm. 9-11 type imagery. And so now in this, in Endgame, in any number of places, it's like we're going to we're gonna have our final battle take place in a, a generic wasteland of some type. Like so much more dynamic to watch the Avengers in the first Avengers movie navigate New York City or recognizable landmarks. There's a way to, I think, get the pedestrians out of there, but still give us a sense of scale and a sense of place and a sense of destruction happening yep. in a way that we can relate to. This is places just cheap. Yeah, it, 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 it just, really does feel, budget. feel budgety. Yeah, it does feel budgety. So at the end of the day, Kara is a pretty well-acted character who you like the way that you might like a girl you wanted to ask on a date or something like, mm. oh, this is a vulnerable young woman. And it turns out she actually is just a vulnerable young woman because she tries to fight Zod and he just kills her mm-hmm. twice. And Which is about as close as the movie comes to any kind of an emotional thing. But yeah. a spoiler alert, she's not actually a vulnerable young woman. She's a plot element. Right. That doesn't matter that much in the big scheme of things. She doesn't matter that much. And in fact, nothing matters that much. All that mer- matters is Original Barry, Barry One's, let's call him, journey of self-discovery to discover that he shouldn't create an alternate reality because that creates a revenge monster, Barry. And so it's better to just, I guess, wipe that multiverse out or let it all die because you can't save it. Which, but on the one hand, like creating a multiverse, if that's what you actually did, sorry, creating a new universe, if that's what you actually did, which is what Keaton seems to be saying that Barry did, and then killing it, Seems like incredibly evil mm-hmm. and psychopathic. And like, does the movie realize that Barry just created like billions of people in a sense, in, so, in some weird sense, or caused their existence and then uncaused it? Shouldn't that make him have a little bit of a hard time sleeping at night? 
Oh, no. Well, also, he wiped out Ben Affleck. <laughs> I mean, the, uh, and the, the movie most likable mentor character that he has. It, yeah, obviously, it, the movie doesn't care. The movie doesn't give a crud about that. And then, on the other hand, if that's not what he's doing, and if what, what he actually is only doing, if all that he's doing is he kind of, it's like almost like more like he discovered this universe, which is not what the movie seems to be saying. It seems to be saying he created it. But leave that aside. If he sort of discovered it and then intervened in it and then left it to die... That actually also feels pretty bad. Like, mm-hmm. no, actually, Barry, maybe you and the other Flash and Kara, you could have actually figured something out. Maybe. It's, everything's just doomed. I've, it's not yeah, very interesting. The, those are just places, as you said earlier, that, like, I just don't buy it. I don't buy the dilemma. I don't buy There's, like I said, two major things. I don't buy that he wouldn't want to know who killed his mom. Like, that's just not the way human nature works. If you have the power to figure that out, of course you're going to take a peek. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. And I do not buy, given the parameters that they set for this final battle, that he wouldn't have been able to solve it with a couple of... I mean, I, I know they pay some lip service to, like, it's fate. Fate is the thing we talk about in this That's movie. Right. So it's, like, one of those unalterable things that you can't change. But, which is, which is again, like Spider-Verse is canon events. Right. It's the, same, it's the same idea. These events happen. You can't change them. If you do, you would destroy the world. Everything would fall apart. It would collapse because these story events have to happen for some unknown reason. But you have to sell that on more than a conceptual level. You have to sell that in the logic of the way the scene is constructed and the way the events are constructed. And this movie just doesn't even bother to to do that. Yeah. It's just like, let's go back, do the scenario again, and I shall die again because it has to happen. It doesn't make any sense. No, it stinks. Drake can go back a couple times and he can just get a couple berries and smash Zod's head in. I mean, there's just no, there's no plot logic reason why he can't attain his goal. Which no. Which is frustrating for a viewer. It, it is. And then the whole idea that like the, the big grand conceptual climax where you're seeing all these multiverse spheres. Sorry, I keep calling them multiverses. You see all these universe spheres crashing into each other. I have no idea what that means or if any of that happened or if he did break something or if those were really existing universes or what in the world is actually going on or what the multiverse is that he's interacting with or or what did he did did he cause like a big catastrophe where other universes smashed into each other that now that damage is done or did he undo the damage he might like i have no idea i don't even know if the movie knows what he did or didn't do all i know is that we have these glimpses of all these versions of our beloved DC characters watching things crash right. into each other. And then Barry goes back to his time. Of course, but he doesn't go back. Where's the movie? He, he goes, he, he still creates an alternate universe or something. But apparently that doesn't matter. So nothing matters by the end of this movie. Literally nothing. Yeah, it's, 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 it's very strange. It's, it's very careless and clumsy. And it is, it's just like... If you think about the fan servicey moments from Star Wars that have worked in these post-Lucas th- joints, you've got like, it's Darth Vader. He's walking down a hallway in Rogue One. He's doing all this Darth Vader stuff that we've never really gotten to see. You're like getting an actual moment that works in the story where you're getting to see the might of our favorite Sith Lord as he unleashes it in a way we've never seen before. And that's cool. Simply, hey, look, it's Darth Vader. That's not as interesting. And people wouldn't be as interested or as intrigued by that. And for this to all operate on the level of, hey, look, it's Chris Reeves' Batman. Hey, look, it's Adam West, or or Chris Chris Reeves' Superman. Superman. It's Adam West Batman. Like, if the plot 
isn't actually working such that if they weren't there, this would make sense and be cool, then it's not going to be cool when they are there. It's why the best cameo of the movie is George Clooney because it is a half, even if it's a, coming out of a dumb movie and it's part of the problem, it is a halfway decent punchline uh-huh. to a time travel movie. Oh, ha ha, you actually messed it up again. That's an okay punchline. And so whether it's George Clooney or not, that's a good punchline. It could be anyone weird getting out of that car and it works. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's George Clooney from the worst Batman movie just makes it extra funny. It works within the logic of the movie. Like you said, the, these universes crashing into each other. I don't know what's going on there. And so simply seeing fan service kind of things, I'm mm-hmm. not like, oh, oh, cool. And I maybe they're like one fat person shoving popcorn in their mouth that did do that. And it wasn't me. When we were in our theater. I, I did like the, seeing Nick Cage fight a giant scorpion or whatever that was that was that was cool yeah i mean that was fun but it had no meaning yeah and it's kind of fun like if you know the story of the producer who always wanted to put a giant spider in this like it's it's cute (laughs) but i don't know especially knowing what happened to christopher reeves and everything it just or christopher reeve it does feel a little tasteless i know his heirs signed off on it but it's still like this guy's dead this era's passed i I don't know yeah i don't don't have any huge opinions about it it just feels a little morbid to me Whatever the actual morality of there's, these there's, are. There's a way, there would be a way to do that respectfully and well. But only if you had a story that actually cared about consequences and was consistent in what it was trying to do plot-wise and emotional-wise. I wouldn't mind. I mean, I, I, it, I feel like there's a, there's a Christopher Reeve ghost cameo that I would be like, that was, that was respectful. Yeah, I just, I want him to do something. Like, if Christopher Reeve flew over and he said, Barry, let me explain what happens when you try to turn back time. Now, of course, he doesn't have the moral authority to do that based on his movies. But if Christopher Reeve had something to do, yeah, I think we people who love those Christopher Reeve movies would cry because it'd be like equivalent to Darth Vader coming down that hallway. It's right. Like, Here's right. something I've always, I've always wanted to spend more time with this character and see them do something cool that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. But instead, just kind of having them wave in the background or what's worse stand passively while their universe crumbles or in something a, in a way that's nonsensical. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was unfortunate. It was, it, it, it has no meaning. I mean, I don't know what to say. And that's what I felt at the end of this movie. I was just like, I don't feel anything. I like movies that make me feel things that have stories that are constructed in such a way as they move logically from one thing to another thing the human behavior is all relatable. I know what's going on and the moral anchor points are there such that I can enter into it and feel something. And a weird thing about phase four Marvel and about this movie now is it's like not even incidentally, maybe a little bit with the cheesy seeing saying goodbye to mom mm-hmm. because I'm a soft touch. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it's just like, you've managed to construct a movie that's bizarrely incapable of even accidentally making me feel something. And except for maybe like at best I've watched some spectacle and it's kind of pleasant Mm -hmm. to be in an air conditioned theater where spectacle is being performed for my amusement. But man, I just feel like even bad Ashley Judd movies from the early oddies would have like, a script with characters and stuff. (laughs) Something to, there's just nothing, there's Mm -hmm. nothing to actually connect to here. There's there's not a character. There's, there's not a a there there to. Yeah. No, no, 
And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's too bad. It is too bad. Do you have any other thoughts? I think I'm out of thoughts on this guy. I, I think I'm out of thoughts too. I feel like we covered most everything. We can always come back and do a flash too if we, mm, if we have more flash points to make. Oh. <laughs> ben, how many mm. exploding multiverses out of 19 do you give this film? I give it like, oh, I'll give it like three. Out of 19, I'll give it three. I was going to give it four. That's probably more fair. I don't want to give it more than you. I'm going to give it three. All right. Oh, better luck next time, Flash. Man. There, there won't be a next time because nope. you're not making any money and no one cares. Uh, too bad. Super waste of Michael Keaton. I wish we could get a cool, like, Burton Batman Part 3. Yeah. That's some nostalgia I'd sign up for. Yep. Okay. I hope you got a quote ready, my friends. Until next time. What did you do? Already did. Already did. Did Batman say that before he got back? I wanted to bring you back. Already did. You already did. All right. Bye, folks.